morning, everyone. Good morning. That's so better. So you can be sleeping. Huh? Just notice a Christian. Just preach the message so you guys can pack your stuff and go home. Not so fast. So I also heard something about driving two hours to go to church. Not in America. If we have to drive two hours, all of us will go to church. But some people are hungry for the word. And they have to do what they got to do to get where they need to get. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you because this is the day that you have made for us to rejoice and to be glad in it. Father, I'm just a human being. Sometimes not knowing what I should be doing. But I ask you that you speak through me, that the message that you have placed in my heart that may touch lives. The deliverance will come, redemption will come, salvation will be there, hearts will be healed, and people will acknowledge that you're God who give victory in every circumstance. And we commit this over to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know how Psalm 68 fell on my rap, but... Um, uh, there was a question mark on every elder has selected everything else they needed, and there was a big question mark. Eventually, I noticed J- James, George Kenyon Jewey. <laughs> so here I am. I don't know why they skipped it. I think probably it's difficult. But uh, the message today, we are gonna. When I was going through these thirty-five verses, two words kept coming to my mind. Redemption and salvation. Redemption and salvation. So the message for today, uh, for those uh, here, is Christ leads the way. If you notice the whole Bible, it's all about Christ. If you have never noticed that, I suggest you read more. But it's all about Christ. From the Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. It's one thing, faith and Christ. So today, the message that I'm going to be preaching comes from, in your, in your Bible, page four, uh, 481 and 482, uh, in your Bibles where you're reading. I'm not going to read every single verse, I'll, and otherwise I'll be here until Jesus comes. So I am going to recommend that you get your a Bible app and your Bible and when I give specific sectional reference, you can go through there and see what we are talking about. But I'm going to read the first uh, four verses for introduction. It says, Let God arise, let his enemy be scattered, let those who also hate him free from him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish in the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yes, let them rejoice exceedingly. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the crowds by his name, Yahweh, and rejoice before him. Now, this theme is repeated all over the book of Psalm 68. And notice the first thing happened is that we are calling God to 
rise against the enemies. Now, if you have not been a Christian too long, you should know when you became a believer, you declare war because you change allegiance. And when you change allegiance, the people you used to be have allegiance to, they want you back. That is Satan. And God wants to keep you. So there is this tug of war going on. And the book of Psalm introduction is, Psalm is a poetic expression of praise and exhortation, celebrating the majesty and power of God. It highlights his triumph over his enemies and his care for his righteous people. It invites believers to rejoice and sing gratitude before the Lord who reigns on high because of who he is. The psalm inspires awe and devotion for those who are in Christ, even those who are not in Christ and remind us of God's unfailing love and protection for his people. Now, when you say, let God arise, notice what happens. One of the call is a call to praise and exalting God himself, according to verse 1 through 4. And what does happen? As I read, the enemies are scattered. They are learning. And, um, now, the best explanation I can give is, um, if you had loaches in the houses and you turn the lights on, they all scatter all over the place. Yes. I, I used to remember that because a long time ago we used to rent apartments. You know apartments? <laughs> if one person got loaches, yeah. they're coming to you too. So we used to go, we used to, to do, to clean kitchen all the time so that the loaches will not be coming. But nevertheless, when you turn the lights on, the loaches are scattering. <laughs> Imagine that, that God has called, may God arise, and enemies start scattering. So the question for me to you is this. How is your relationship with God? Can you call on God to arise and enemies scatter like loaches? Or you're saying, I don't know. I'm here to tell you that God, as a children, a child of God, God has given you the ability to call on Almighty because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we should approach the throne of grace where we might find help in a time of trouble. You're not alone. You're a child of the king. And when he lies, the enemy scatters. Not only that, the Bible says they melt. I don't know about you, but we all have candles in our house. And when you put that light on, that candle is not going to be in the same shape that you bought, in. you bought it in. It's going to start melting. Now imagine that. That God arises, not only that, they melt. Not, not, it's not talking necessarily they melt physically, maybe, but most, excuse me. But it's saying this, ladies and gentlemen, that their heart give up. They are discouraged to pursue you. Because God has stood on your behalf. Why then? We are always hatched back with the problems. Is it because we don't realize who our king is? Or we think our God is so fickle? But the Bible just told you they'll be petrified. 
and melt. That's a kind of God that we have. The next thing is talking about invocation of God's triumph over his enemy. According to Romans 8, it says, There is no, therefore, no condemnation to that in Christ Jesus. Yes? And it continues at the end of that chapter, it talks about neither death, nor trials, nor tribulations, nor famine, nor hunger, nor angels, nor heights, can separate us from the love of Christ. So what is the problem, brethren? Why are you not downcast? It said some people to say that Christians are the most unhappy people. Because they're always gloomy, they're solemn. Because they're showing Christ. No, that's not Christ. Christians should be the most excited people in the world. Because when you're sharing that word, it excites you. When you're sharing your king, it excites you. Why? Because one of the things it talks about is saying that notice the words spoken in the book of Colossians that it's talking about who Christ is and what we are supposed to do about him. It's saying that let the spoken word of Christ have its home within you and draw in your heart and your mind, permeating every aspect of your being as you teach spiritual things, admonish, what that word means, you the tell, where we get a word counseling, because you didn't know. Yeah, admonish, when you're admonishing, when you're talking to your brother in Christ or your sister in Christ and counseling, yet you the tell them. That's what he's talking about. Admonish and train one another with all wisdom, singing hymns and psalms and songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. If you notice Psalm 68, it's talking about lifting God up. And it's, the Bible says when Christ is lifted up, he will lift all men to himself. So we need to do our part as believers. Now, his enemies are always going to be melting. They're going to be scattered because God doesn't change. You may change, but God is not going to change. He's going to still do his job. Now, he's calling on us, as believers, to do our part and follow as exalting God for what he does. Now, he tells us to worship. Now, we came here today to worship God. But let me change that for you. We came here to do the climax of what we have been doing the last six days. Because worship is not something that you do on Sunday. Worship is... In everything you do, glorify God in it. That's what the Bible says. Notice what I just said. It comes from Colossians. In everything you do, glorify God in it. So now if you look, you're a police officer. You're protecting, glorifying God in it. You're a doctor. You're ministering to people with your medicine or your injection, whatever. I don't like injection. But you're glorifying God in it. You are a dentist. You're plucking those teeth out. I don't like dentists. I just came from a dentist, and your mouth is feel different than it was before. Now, but you're ministering to God in everything you do. Are you a teacher? You are teaching on behalf of God, not on behalf of the person who supervises you, because whether they are there or not, you need to be doing it for who? 
in everything you do. That's worship. In essence, worship is not coming. Sunday is a climax of what you have been doing the, last, the whole week. Now, so that should change your perspective about how you worship God in everything. This psalm is a memorial written by David, remembering what God did from Egypt to Mount Sinai, crossing Jordan, and bringing the Ark of Covenant to Jerusalem. That's the whole Bible, by the way. Psalm 68 captures the whole Bible in 35 verses. That's why when I was looking at it. Because it also has the verse that is most important, Psalm 68, 18, and 19, talking about the messianic prophecy of Jesus Christ, which we're going to get to. So, what is it we are talking about here? God is also seen as a defender. You know, God defend the fatherless, and those who don't have homes, and those who are widows, and those who are oppressed. And if you're here, you don't have father, have any uh, other father and a parent, God is going to be your protector. Now, one of the things that I have noticed, America's system is individualistic. Me, me. You go to other culture, they are people-minded, if you notice their time schedule, it's scheduled among what people are doing, not the thing they're doing. The thing is going to be done, but it's going to be done after the relationship has taken place. Now, if you go to that world country and start being fixated in doing, you're going to miss the boat. So, why I'm saying this, God protects and provides. He's Jehovah Jireh. But God is not going to come from heaven and say, Courtney, here is your vehicle, here is your land, here is your job. No. He's going to use people that you see, both Christian and non-Christians. So we need to be otherness minded if we're going to see God at work. We need to start being individualistic because no man is an island. And that's what it's talking about here, ladies and gentlemen. When God was protecting the nation of Israel in the wilderness, he used other nations who didn't like them to come and help them. Did you hear what I just said? He used other nations to come alongside the nation of Israel and help them, although they didn't like them. How about the church? Are we doing what we're supposed to do? In the kingdom of God, he's talking about here that he is the father of fatherless, defender of widows. God is the, in his holy habitation. God set the solitary in his family. He brings out those who are bound to prosperity, and, but the rebellious dwell in the land, dry land. No, those see what he just said. Those who are in Christ, they get bounty. Those who are not in Christ, they are there without. But you may ask, Brother Kinyanji, what are you talking about? I see rich people getting away with it, everything. No, because you're just fixated on natural things that you see with your naked eyes. The inheritance more than the physical thing that you see. If you don't remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, then we are missing the boat. 
Rich man had everything. Lazarus didn't have anything. But who ended up being rich? Lazarus. And the rich man is dying, saying, can I come? Can I go downstairs and tell the brothers and sisters about this area? Because I don't want them to come here. He said, man, I'm going to listen to you even you come. They're going to think you're a ghost. So they have Moses and they have prophets. So ladies and gentlemen, God is a protector. Jehovah Jireh. Is Jehovah Jireh your Jehovah Jireh? God who provide. Also, his holiness is portrayed by his holy habitation. He is sitting there. I describe the dwelling place for God. is holy, signifying his purity and also his transcendence. What is he talking about here in our area right now? He's talking about the body of believers. In the nation of Israel, they were cutting the ark to signify God's presence among them. Today, we don't carry the ark. You are the ark. The Bible says he resides within you. So we are the holy habitation of God. We ought to behave like it, ladies and gentlemen, so that people can see Jesus Christ as we walk this life, and they can be drawn to us because of the thing we do, not what we say, because sometimes what we say is contrary to what we do. So we, people look in the doing, not in the saying. Then he is a compassion. He has a compassion and comfort. God is portrayed as who takes lonely and places them in the family, offering them solace and companionship to those who are isolated and abandoned. That's church's job. As we say in our Jamaican mission, we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus to our community, within the church, and within the community outside there. So, it's time to get to, to work. Then he celebrates and gives joy to those who are in him. Now, the children of Israel were in bondage for 400 years in Egypt. Then he sent Moses and come along and delivers them. Not only he delivers them, he tells the nation of Egypt, I want you to give your gold and silver to these people. If you read your Bible, they carried all the wealth of Egypt. Because God provides the mesh, all the needs that you need from those who are in captivity when they are released. Now, they were captive of Pharaoh. Now they became captive of Jesus Christ. You, when you are not liberated by Jesus, you are captive of Satan. But now you are captive of Jesus Christ, who is a better master, who meets all your needs and your emotional well-being and everything that you ever ask. What a better master. Then justice. I'm not talking about American justice. I'm talking about the divine justice. That God says, don't avenge yourself. I am the judge, I'll take care of it. And when God takes care of it, everybody knows, because they melt. It's the same. The next thing is talking about God is victorious according to passage Seven, verse 7 through 18. God is the one who gives victory to, to us. And when he come to fight the battle, he come with the armies. The Bible is saying, I saw 20,000 upon thousands. The chariots. The Bible says chariots. Now, I'm assuming that God opened the eyes of the 
of, of these people so they can see God's mighty army, like he did with Elisha, when Elisha was surrounded by the Syrian army, and his servant went outside and said, hey, Elisha, father, the Assyrian army here, 10,000 of them. What are we going to do? Elisha just looked at him and said, we are many. And they are. And Gehazi looked at him and said, are you crazy or something? We are two of us. And Elisha said, he prayed, God opened the eyes of Gehazi so he can see. And when he opened the eyes, he saw armies of heaven from all the earth to the sky. Now, if you're not a reader of Old Testament, I recommend you start reading it. Because sometimes I get lost when I'm reading the, in the Bible there because there are not nifty stories there. The miraculous things that God does, why do you think it's written? The Bible in the book of Hebrews says, and these things were written for you that you may understand how God deal with the people. So we have example. So even if you don't see with your naked eyes the army of heaven, they are there to protect his child, you and I. We talk about God give triumph to, over the enemies. Divine victory. Notice the word divine victory. It has to do with God, not you and I. If this has nothing to do with what you do or don't do. This has to do because of who you belong to. God is doing it on your behalf. Second, notice that picture there? An lion? Called Lion of Judah. When he rose, everybody knows. When the other makes sound, don't worry about them. You are, God is in your side. So, what happened to us as believers when this comes to these? It says, number B, the provision from God. Not only God give victory, but he provide in bountifulness. If you read the verse, I was going back to the uh, Deuteronomy 29. It's talking about when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. And this is my boggling. You may believe it. You can read it for yourself. That their clothings and their sandals, they never wore out. It says that. How are you going to wear clothes for 40 years and they never wore out? It says that in your Bible, literally speaking. Showing God protection and provision. So I'm assuming these clothings, because these are children who are born in the wilderness, their clothings grow with them. As they grew up, the clothes grew. I don't know. Because they never wore. Oh, he's saying, you never lacked anything you needed at any time. Because you want the water? I told Moses to talk to the stone, although he struck it. And the water is there. Oh, the water is bitter. Put some leaves in there. Herbal medicine. The water is good. You drink. Oh, we are hungry. The manna from heaven. Well, but there is stipulation. Just collect what you need now. You can collect for tomorrow. They collected also for tomorrow. And when they come, there were maggots in them. They couldn't eat. Because God is saying this. Worry about today. Tomorrow we will take care of itself. Is that we, Americans, we like our bank account? Now I don't have money. You start screaming and tearing your hair. But you forget that who provides? Who gave you the energy to work? God. Who gave you the health to go to work? God. Who gave you the car to go to work? God. Who... Make sure that you get the comparable income that you need and to pay your rent, God. It's not your bank account. Your bank account is God. He provides in bountifulness. The children of Israel never lack anything. The God is saying, wherever you are, 
Whatever the station of life, God is providing. What do you need? Do you need deliverance? He's providing. Do you need salvation? He's providing. Now, do you need redemption? He's providing. <laughs> now, there are two things. There's one word I need to say here. Redemption and salvation are two words go head in hand, but they mean different things altogether. But I notice we all say they are the same. They're not the same. Let me explain. Redemption had to do with buying back something which was in slave market, being traded. In this case, you and I were being traded by Satan in the slave market of sin, in bondage. So God come and die for you, and he redeems you. It happened once. Now, redemption have a card, but now they're going to be consistent deliverance, which we call salvation. Going back to the Lord's prayer, Lord, give us this day our data bread and deliverance from temptation. It's a consistent thing. Have to do with the personal sanctification and walk with God. That's what it's talking about. Those words go hand in hand, but they mean totally two different things. So, are you delivered? Are you redeemed yet? Because you can't have deliverance without redemption. So let's get that straight. Another thing I need to make it straight here. I had elders preach this, but I need to correct it. Sorry, guys. <laughs> the point is, hell and lake of fire are two different places. Majority of us use them synonymously. They are not. Do you have a police officer here? Any police officer here? Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, if a police officer stops you and you give him nonsense and they arrest you, they will take you to a local police station, don't they? Yeah. They don't, tell you, they don't take you to maximum police uh, security, maximum security. They take you to police station, they get you put there, you get a process, and then you wait for the judge to arraign you. Now, if you're found guilty, now you go to a maximum prison. Yeah. Now, why I'm saying that? Because we need to understand hell is a temporary place where the souls of those people who didn't receive Jesus Christ, they are sitting there waiting judgment. Come from the book of Revelation, because the book of Revelation says this, death and hell was cast into the lake of fire, which is the final death. Lake of fire is where they got to live forever. Final destination, can't come out. So those are two different things we need to understand. Then the passage here is talking about God triumph in Mount Sinai. If you remember, the people start murmuring against Moses. And they said, who made you our leader? Let God, that God come speak to us. And Moses went to God and said, the people want to talk to you. Say, let them clean themselves. They have seven days to clean themselves and scrub everything. And then they could come to the mountain and talk to me. So they came. And the priest started thundering and shaking and everything. And they said, Moses, you go. <laughs> that the picture is being portrayed here. The significance of what God does when he appears. He destroys that is not willing to submit to him. And he blesses that is submitting to him. Which are you? Are you submitted to God? 
and you get the blessings, or you're going to be melting away and get scattered. So, what is the significance of this victory? It's signifying that God is establishing his sanctuary among his people. That's why there was a covenant. But now God lives within our hearts. We are the covenant of God that we should, we, we should, we are the covenant where God resides. The imagery here is showing God ascending to his holy dwelling with captives and receiving gifts of humankind, illustrating the willingness of the nation to submit to his authority. The passage talks about even the enemies who didn't like God, they came to give him gifts. I want you to process that in your mind. You don't like the guy, but you're going to give him the stuff anyway. It happens anyway. If your nation has been captured by the nation, you're going to have to pacify the person who captured you anyway. That's what it's talking about here. They're pacifying God, but they're bringing it, and God uses it to give it to his own people. It's called the spoils of war, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I don't know whether you guys want to be messed with that guy. You look at that guy, how serious he is. Now, no wonder they're melting the sword, and you see the armies of heaven with him. And it's, the Bible is very clear what it's talking about here. Um, verse 18. You have ascended on high. You have led captive those taken captive. You have received gifts among men, even the rebellious ones also, that Jehovah may dwell among them. Now, this passage is very important to understand what is going on. Uh, in a time of war, ladies and gentlemen, what the kings used to do, when they capture a nation, they had this entourage and procession to sow the spoils of war. That's the, the, messagery, the, the message used here to signify what it's talking about. So, but what it's talking about, Christ, when he died on the cross, some of us think, what was he doing the there are the next three days and three nights. The Bible says he went down. Why would he go down? People have all this theology, but let me put it simple. In old times, there were two places where the souls of the dead used to go. There were Sheol and Gehenna. There were compartments together. The, the sinners were there, and the saints were there, just separated by a wall. Christ went there to liberate those and take them to heaven. Secondary, so today if you die, your soul goes to heaven, not down there. But the soul of those who are not saved, they're still there. That's distinction number two. The other thing is talking about Christ giving gifts to the church in order to operate and function accordingly. That's what Paul is using this in the book of Corinthians, talking about, and he gave some pastors, teachers, preachers, prophets, in order to operate within the church so that they can uh, facilitate the church to grow. Notice the procession what the Roman Empire used to do. Whenever they captured it, they showed the parade and all the spoils of war. And after that, uh, they go and give, the king give his buddies, this gift and everything else. Now, this analogy you see here to show how Christ does things, when he takes it to the world, the people who don't know you, they're going to come give you gifts because God told them to do it. 
That's the whole point it's demonstrating here. To capture the passage here, ladies and gentlemen, it's talking about various things in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5 through 16, talking about uh, the unity of believers. I'm going to read a little bit here for you to understand what says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is above all, and all, and in all you all. But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ. Gift. Therefore, he says, he ascended high and he led captive, cap, uh, captivity captive and gave gift to men. What does it mean he ascended? It means that he, he also first descended to the lower part of the earth. He who also ascended, the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things, and he gave himself some apostles, some pastors, some uh, evangelists, and teachers, for the equipping of the work of the ministry, edifying the body of Christ. And I can lead on and on, but you can lead it for yourself. I'm going to encapsulate with a few things. The point is showing the unity of body of believers, emphasizing because of one Lord, we are united for a common cause. We are not fighting among ourselves. So when you see First Baptist Church here, uh, Grace Church here, we're supposed to be one body. Now, we may not contain one place, but we should be one in the spirit because we worship one God. Second, gift of the church is used to diversity of gifts. You have a different gift. I have my different gift. Don't envy mine. I don't envy yours. Because we, how can you envy your finger and a foot envy the finger? Does it make sense, does it? So the body is supposed to operate together. When your finger hurts, your whole body hurts. Therefore, we need to stop fighting. Spiritual maturity. The reason this is given to make sure that the body is nurtured in order to mature to become like Christ, to come, become Christ-likeness. That's the whole point of that. Then it's talking about attaining fullness of Christ. In essence, we embodied Christ's growth in our lives and demonstrated to signify that. Then talking about fashion, all this is done under the foundation of love. I told you to do it. No, that's not it. The love, the divine love of God, agape, is the one that demonstrates this in order for us to do all these things. Now, then the next passage talks about the procession of God. It's talking about God's majestic power for his people. And it also talks about the bountifulness. God who loads us daily. Now, notice that word. Giving you blessing daily. You know, signifying the abundance of God's resources. As a child of God, you never lack anything. It may not come when you want it, but it will be there. But what I notice is this. And I always, I don't have a tool today, but I, I have a teddy for my dog, granddaughter here. No. This is what we do. We are so full of ourselves. And we are so proud. When you have a need and somebody asks you something, you say, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm going to keep my problem. My problem, you stay with me. Don't say nothing. And everybody will think we're good. Is that helping the body of Christ to grow? No. You're not letting other people in because you have your teddy here. Teddy don't die, they can't hear you. But people can see on your face you have a problem, but you don't want it. You just smile, fake fire. You know, oh, we America, we like to fake that smile. Hey, I'm doing fine. 
But the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, is that we are supposed to contribute to one another. And you become a blessing to others and become a blessing to you and become a blessing to the body of Christ. That's what we are, we are called to do. And as you notice, the presence of God is ongoing. And the next passage talks about God, people acknowledging God's strength and power because they worship for who he is, because of what he does. If you look at that picture talking about parting of Red Sea, did Moses do it? No. God did it. But people had to step, use their gift that God has given you. What gift God have given you? Moses was praying to God, hey, to help us, they're going to die. He said, Moses, what do you have in your hand? The staff, do what it does. I gave you the power. Point it there. The Red Sea dread, God, put it back. Let them die. The enemy died, and they got delivered. Ladies and gentlemen, you have the power from the Almighty God because God has said, these things I'm doing, you do greater than I am doing it. And I'll be with you until the end of the age. So what's the problem, ladies and gentlemen? Then we are summoned to worship God because of everything that he does. What else can you do? When you see the miraculous thing that God does, you can only raise your hands without even knowing you're raising your hands because of what God does for his people. Notice the exhortation to give thanks is, in everything you in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. So, are you murmuring, complaining, or giving thanks? Let me ask you this question. Humanly speaking, do you give things to people who are complaining? Literally? Is that how it works? But when, you, when, when you're praising other people, what happens? The pocket, pocket open? Yeah, now we can do it. I'm going to cash up you. No. But when you complain, oh, they just, they, they, they're always down. They, they, they don't have a good attitude. So I don't want to bother with that. If you notice Psalm 68, it's about worshiping and praising God. And when he is praised and exalted, things happen. So grace we need to go on and praising God and show who Christ is. Let Christ be seen on our forehead and nations will praise him and worship him because of what he's doing. And we do it with reverence in his sanctuary. Now, we are not talking about this building. I'm talking about our bodies. We are the sanctuary of God and we dedicate ourselves to him, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice according to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, so that we may know the perfect will of God. Now, the application, ladies and gentlemen, in conclusion, applying Psalm 68 and its related themes of Ephesians 4 and leading believers to a life of praise, trust, seeking God's presence, fostering unity in, in, in the church, using spiritual gifts for God, glory, and pursuing spiritual growth. By incorporating all these teachings into our lives, Believers can experience deeper connection with God and transform life of purpose or joy in serving others. So, do you know Christ is coming? Now, this is a challenge for those people who are in here. I don't know whether all of you know Jesus. I don't know whether you know Jesus or not, but the point is this, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know Jesus, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. It's not guaranteed the next minute. 
Who knows? You may have an accident before you reach home and uh, you're gone. I don't know. I'm not praying for you to have that, but I'm just saying this. God is waiting with open arm that you may receive him as a child of the kingdom. Therefore, remember. One thing I remember a long time ago, I used to see footprints of Jesus. Uh, majority of us have read this. I'm not going to read it, but it's there. Uh, this guy was saying, I had, had a dream that I was walking with Jesus, and there were two fo- set of footprints. And when I was in the, my weakest moment, I just see one set with deep prints on it. And Jesus, why did you leave me in the time of need? And say, my child, I didn't leave you. I loved you. But at that moment, that's what I carried you. Do you see? Do you hear? Do you feel like you're in the weakest part? Nobody cares. Christ there with you. He's calling you because of his child. And he has committed himself. He is not a human that he should lie. He fulfilled his covenant. And you should trust in him, ladies and gentlemen. So, our final responsibility. You know the good news? You need to set good news to other people. Go therefore and make disciples to all the nation. Help them to learn about me. Believe in me and obey my word, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, reminding you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, and every occasion to the end of the age. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, that's our mission as the church. So, come King Jesus, the Messiah of the church. Let's pray. And as I pray, elders and prayers come prayer. We're going to also be praying for... Uh, Kalra in her family and also the Bullocks. You can come up front as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you're king who reigns forever. And because of you, we can less assured that we will be protected and taken care of. And we commit this day as we go to our respective home. Help us to meditate on this and to put you into our lives to do what you need to do in our everyday circumstance. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.